Well, good morning. A um, few new faces out there. It's good to see you guys here, and um, thanks for being with us today. I'm kind of finishing up a series that we've been going through. Um, well, we've been going through parables, but then have kind of narrowed in as we've been talking about what's maybe loosely a parable, more of a metaphor on um, abiding in Christ and what that means. This idea of our life as this branch that's remaining connected to the vine and bearing fruit. And, and the reason we've slowed down is I think it's a key metaphor for us in really understanding what is at the heart of the Christian life, what we're being invited into. And um, I've been talking about this as, in Jesus' words, um, abundance. What does it mean to live a life that is abundant? And the key image of this, the word that Jesus uses to describe this relationship is to abide, in some translations, to remain. How do we stay, first and foremost, plugged into the source of this life and then let that life flow through us in a way that is generous and bears fruit? And not just fruit, but the right kind of fruit, right? That tastes the right way, that tastes gentle, it tastes patient, it tastes kind. How do we live these lives? And that the essence of this life, when we are living in such a way, brings the thing that we're longing for the most. It brings a sort of joy and a meaningful existence to us. I um, did a memorial yesterday. And uh, just realizing a memorial service requires a different sort of energy from you as a pastor. You're... um, Rather than presenting something, you're like kind of holding this space for people to grieve, but also celebrate, to remember and to cherish. And this was for a family member of mine, my cousin, who died. And I was thinking as you watched it, this um, beautiful simplicity to his life. And he battled for over a decade with cancer, and it was profound the way that he walked that road but that what came from him was this deep joy. A joy that was refined, right? It wasn't just a choosing to look at things through a different lens, but a a deep work that God had done in him that manifested, as it turned out, in very simple little acts of obedience. And yet, as you heard testimony after testimony the profound impact of all these little seeds that he would plant. And I thought, what a beautiful picture to me of what we are talking about here, this this calling of Jesus for us to live lives in such a way that at the end of our lives, people would be savoring the goodness of the life that we left behind. And what we see from Jesus' teaching here is that the whole thing is relational, that we don't arrive at some truth and have this problem solved. Life isn't like trying to come up with the final answer you know, to the question. That it's way more a, a way of living. It's, it's a how. It, it's living in this place of receiving and then that, from that place, giving. That there's an input and an output. There's an inhale and an exhale to this life. And that when done right, when done with a rhythm and a practice, not only do we come to life, but we're transformed. It changes us. And that's a little bit what I want to focus on today, is this idea of the transforming effect 
that comes from abiding and bearing fruit. And Jesus is going to describe it for us right in our text. It's an identity. It's who we are. And so this is what I love is that in some ways it's this transformation or this growing is like remembering. Remembering who we are at our core. Remembering who we are in God's eyes. And that looks different for each one of us. Each one of our stories is unique and different. And yet there's a profound identity each one of us carries. I used this quote last week, and I'm going to say it again. This is from Howard Thurman, who says, Don't ask, your, um, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And Howard Thurman was a civil rights activist. I mean, this is somebody who understood that our life had a meaning and a purpose and a mission to it. And yet at the core, the spark of that thing is something deep and embedded in his own heart. That what God wants to show us about ourselves is that thing that we most desperately want known and to be loved for us. That our life is to be lived in such a way that that we're becoming more and more like Christ, but in a way that is unique to each one of us. I I like how Dallas Willard would say this. You know, um, he, he would say this, a successful life would be to ask yourself this question, what if the Christ had been born as me? What would my life look like? Right? It's interesting because the Christ, the Messiah, became Jesus. And we see what that life was lived out through this man who is also God. But that we are told to imitate that man in such a way that would be true to us in our context, in our story, but that our life should look like Jesus. The things he valued, the way that he lived, that's our master, that is the one that we are seeking to imitate and to be like. So we talk about this as a vision for our church to become like Christ for the sake of others. But by doing that, this is how we live into our story. This is how we live wholehearted lives. Does that make sense? Are you guys following me there? So we're going to look kind of at the middle to second half of the passage that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, John 15. And I'm going to start today in verse 7. And again, Jesus is going to talk about abiding. And he says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. This idea, remain, remain in Christ. What does that mean to remain in Christ? It's to remain in God's love. What are we called to do? To bear fruit. What does that mean? To love others as Christ loved us. There it is. There's like simple little physics of the kingdom of heaven right there. And let's be clear. Jesus isn't presenting this like an optional extra credit assignment for the overachievers. All you like really spiritual people, here's what you do, right? Go be my disciples, right? No, he's saying, this is my commandment to you. Do it. Remain in me and love others. This is the way it works. And, And there's an urgency to it. In fact, even a sense of Jesus saying like, look, I've done this for you. Now you have a debt to be repaid, right? Then in a way we are bought with a price. And this idea of this relationship and this sort of flowing, it's a receiving first and then a giving. We've been talking about this. And and this idea of remaining in God's love, that, that sounds so simple. But if I had asked you that, what does it mean to abide? You might have just said that. Well, it means to remain in God's love, right? Like, We've got that figured out. I like how Henry Nouwen says this. He says, My true spiritual work is to let myself be loved fully and completely and to trust that in that love I will come to the fulfillment of my vocation. I keep trying to bring my wandering, restless, anxious self home so I can rest there in the embrace of love. My true spiritual work is to let myself be loved. And what's he getting at there? That takes some effort. It's like we know that, but do we know that? Do we really know that and understand that? It always makes me think of that scene, if you've seen this older movie, but Good Will Hunting, where um, Robin Williams is saying to Matt Damon, like, hey, it's not your fault. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's like, no, 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 it's not your fault. I know. It's not your fault. I know. <laughs> it's not your fault. And then all of a sudden you see this like, don't mess with me. Right? That he knows. Does he know that? All of a sudden now you get underneath layer after layer until all of a sudden you're like, back off. And I think sometimes the love of God is like that. I love you. I know. No, I love you, Jeff. I know. I love you. Okay, back off. Right? That that it comes in and it has this way of going into places in our lives that we have like closed off. That I think all of us are fine being loved where we feel lovely. But this love, this sacrificial love, it, it moves into places where we find ourselves uncomfortable to be loved. Places that we don't want to look at in ourselves. I mean, isn't it interesting that that when sin comes into our life, all the way back in Genesis 3, 
When sin enters the garden, what is the response? Is to hide. And God stands out there in that place where he meets them every single evening and goes, why are you hiding? And yet we do, don't we? We, we long for love and yet we hide from God. And see, the work here of abiding is to remain in that place of vulnerability, to let God see us and notice us and to love us just as we are, not who we like to think of ourselves as or who we're trying to become, but just simply for who we are. And it requires this sort of slowing down and paying attention, which is why we talked about last week that that part of the idea of abiding in this love is slowing down. Most of us are so focused on becoming something lovable and moving at such a fast pace and finding our value in all this stuff that we don't even hear God speak. It becomes like a sort of background noise in our life as we're paying attention to so many other things. I think of this like driving in traffic, right? That, that normally we're zipping along and we're going to do 85 if we can and we're looking in the rear view mirror to make sure there's not a cop behind us and we're like blazing our way to something that really we're, we don't even need to be there early. We just drive this way. And um, gosh, when you hit traffic, it's so annoying, so frustrating, right? And we're so impatient. But, but it's honest, like I think about when I... We'll drive home from L.A. sometimes on a Friday and I'm just crawling along. But you find yourself like looking out the window and going, oh, I've never seen that before, right? Like all of a sudden you can see things at 10 miles an hour that you can't see at 85 miles an hour. And I think some of the reminder of this is just simply this idea of slowing down. We talked last week about Sabbath. Did any of you take a little Sabbath last week? Probably most of you are like, I meant to. Right, we, The idea of it, but, but this is what you find, is that this way of abiding in God's love is a sort of embodied existence. It, it affects our time and our day. We have to actually carve time out to pay attention and to notice. I love how in 1 John 3, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Let me read that again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us so that we can be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will we be and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay, let me just say, it's a bad translation. (laughs) Where it says, see what kind of love. Like, hmm, notice this, right? King James gets it right in this case, where it says, behold. And the, the truth is, John is saying, look at that. Like, have you ever seen anything like that. 
The reason that we have so much trouble understanding God's love is because of all the other instances of love in our lives are conditional and they have to do with our performance and how well we we behave or how well we act or whatever. Even a parental love has a sort of conditional, like you do well and that beam of my love turns on to you. But if you don't do well, right, that beam turns away. And John is going, no, this is not how God's love works. It's like always on, always coming at you, always full force. This love that sees you like a child, that sees you through that lens of just total approval and love and longing. This is God's love. And John goes, would you look at that? But too often we don't, right? Too often we're looking at everything but that, trying to prove that we're lovable, trying to prove that we're more than just children, right? When in fact, Jesus is going, but that is who you are. You're my kids, loved like that, with all the pride of a divine father. And deep down inside, when Jesus is saying, like, I want you to have abundant life, it's that sort of knowledge, not just here, but, but in our soul that we know that, that where we go, we go as this sense of the beloved, as John refers to his disciples. God's beloved, that becomes like our identity. And so often we're finding our identity in what we do. It's our vocation or it's the things about us that are our talents. It's the way that we perform to to gain approval or to fit in. And we create identities around all of these different things, where we went to school or identity based on a political affiliation or any of these things become who I am, ways of fitting into a certain tribe, Ways of gaining that sort of esteem that I seek after, even adoration. All these things, as it turns out, are false identities, and they never satisfy. It's like if somebody comes up to you and says, Man, I love your shoes. And you're like, Thanks. But, right? How loved do you feel? Well, maybe you have good taste and you picked out good shoes, right? But it's not you, right? And you're going to take those things off, right? That's, and I think. The same with our job. At some point, we're no longer going to do that job. Or the things that you're really good at, someday you're probably not going to be any good at those things, right? That we all sort of peak and deteriorate and those kind of things. And this is life, that we try to hold on to some identity and something that ultimately fades away, but in the end isn't us. And this child is like God looking right into your soul. It's told that there's a name that God has for us that will be revealed to us, right? He knows you so well, so intimately. John says, behold this. Pay attention, look at it, marvel at it. Because it's better than you think. 1 Corinthians 13 goes through this beautiful picture of God's love and then says, right now we, we see it dimly. And as John says as well, one day face to face, one day we will really know. But until then, we see a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Ephesians 3, this beautiful passage, I'm just going to read the whole thing, 3 through 10. 
Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, Ephesians 1. That's Okay, I got it right up there. It's wrong in my notes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is this great master plan of God. It is to set all things right, to create this beautiful storyline in which he enters right into the midst of the picture for us. And then takes all that sacrificial love and grace and portions it out in like little small amounts to each one of us, right? Here's your little bit of grace. Here's your little bit of grace. No. What does it say? He like lavished it on you. I think this is what John and Paul, they're they're desperately trying to get us to grasp this idea. It's so much more than you understand. I have a friend who does this talk, and um, I just was at an event this last week where I saw him give this presentation. And it, if I'm honest, it, it sort of bothers me a little bit. He, he takes this vessel and he puts it out there. He puts this like cup there that has kind of these like little cracks and sets it in the midst of this vessel. And then he says God's grace is like this. He takes this rice and he starts pouring it into this vessel. And it fills up the cup and eventually covers up this little cup with its cracks and then starts filling up until it fills up the top of this vessel. And then he reaches down and he grabs another bag of rice and just starts dumping it. It just starts (laughs) spilling everywhere, right? And if I'm honest, there's part of me that's like, okay, got it. Like, stop. You're making a mess of things, right? But um, what a picture of grace. We as these little hearts and little vessels can only hold so much. And you'd think that God would just stop when we're full, but it's like this sense of God going, he just keeps pouring and pouring this grace on us. And to go, if you know this, it's going to transform your life and it's going to change the fruit. That if you can live in that place, where that, that longing to be loved is already realized, gosh, then you have room for others. You can stop trying to prove your value. You can stop trying to show people that you're worth loving. That you can just rest in it. Lean back and float in that love. But here's the truth, and I've already kind of alluded to this idea. Part of us resists that. Because sometimes that love does feel like pruning. 
And sometimes that love does let us go through things that are very, very hard. And I think sometimes that love leads us into places that are very hard. That that's part of the way that that room is created. There's a death to self that happens in there. Death to our ego. Death to that thing that, that wants to be adored. I heard this again, and I love this expression, that this sort of pursuit of fame is basically this desire to be loved by people that we don't have to love in return. Isn't that the human condition? Right? I want to be loved by all these people that I don't really have to love. And Jesus is saying, no, it's the opposite of that. Right? The goal is to just give. It's not how many people follow you, it's how many people you follow, right? It's like a reverse metric. It's like your life is measured by the amount of love that you are able to give away. But not your own. You're not mustering up that love. You're receiving, right? You're increasing this capacity, but it requires humility. And Jesus says this here in John 15, is I've loved you, so you must love others. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay his life down. And Jesus is going to use that phrase several times. As I have loved you, so you love, right? But in John 13, we see a very different way that Jesus loves. As the disciples come in and Jesus takes off his shirt and wraps it around his waist and goes down and starts washing their feet. And any resistance we feel towards God's love, like thank goodness for Peter, right? He always shows us it's okay, right? Where Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet, but also my hands and my head. And this idea of letting Jesus serve us, (laughs) there's a, a part of our pride that we have to let go. We let him see the parts of ourselves that are covered with dust, right? He goes, wash my whole body. And Jesus goes, actually, I just need to wash your feet. (laughs) Right? And that's the thing, right? Like, almost like wash all of me was another one of Peter's excuses. And Jesus is going, no, just the dirty part of you, right? And in verse 12, it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, so also ought you to have washed another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Once again, this simple physics of the kingdom of God to enter into this place of glory is to become a servant of others. To enter into this place of value is to be known as God's child. All these things are so disarming to our ambitions, aren't they? 
And foot washing becomes another beautiful example of this vine and branches and fruit. How do we abide? We let Jesus wash our feet. How do we bear fruit? We wash the feet of others. My cousin Jim, whose memorial I did, he said, somebody shared this about him, that that his phrase was, I may be the only Bible any of these people out there read. Isn't that a great way to look at it? People are, are reading the words of your life, going, what do I see? What kind of fruit? A man shared in that memorial service how his son had been in a, had a brain injury in a skateboarding accident. <laughs> Maybe that's Jim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, he, uh, a son, son was in a skateboarding accident. He, he was sitting there in the waiting room and there was a man that came in who he didn't recognize and didn't know. It turns out it was my cousin who had been this young boy's boss for the last five months. Jim worked at Biola University and he was like, oversaw their maintenance department. This guy was like at first kind of going, how did this guy find his all the way his way all the way back into there? He was like beyond the waiting room, beyond where the family was waiting into this really intimate place and just was there and made a connection with him and prayed. And the guy shared how this over time just transformed him. That this like simple little showing up and bringing God's love into this place of such brokenness meant the world to me. And he was kind of going, who, who does that? Who shows up for his like five-month employee? Like, and I guess the reason I share that is that it was so unusual to this man that somebody would care enough to take that small little step. Is what you heard at the memorial over and over is all these little things, right? And you go, foot washing is this little thing. That most of us are way too busy and important to do. Most of us are a way bigger deal than that, right? That foot washing, that's like, that's a task that you delegate, right? Like you have an employee that you're like, oh, by the way, you go wash the feet, right? That's, it's not the work that we prioritize. It's not the kind of work that we carve out space to do or intentionally go into our day thinking, how do I make sure there's time for foot washing? But I think when you know that you're loved as God's child, I think it actually frees up a ton of emotional energy in your life where you start noticing other things, other people in need. When God comes along and loves you and he brings you that sort of reassurance, all of a sudden you start noticing the people whose feet are dirty. To realize that, that each one of us has this identity of God's child we start realizing, so do they, right? That I think before we can accept it, we see others through this lens of like what they can do for us. But when we know that we're God's child, all of a sudden you start seeing all the other children around you. 
and I think especially in the least. And again, this is something that we live into. I think it could feel almost overwhelming, but but you hear Jesus saying, just start doing it. What do you do? How do you begin this? Well, just obey, right? It's my commandment, love others. What do we do? Just obey, just start doing it, just start practicing it. And when you do, something changes again in your identity. And Jesus is going to say that no longer now do I call you servants, but I call you friends. That this identity isn't just remaining as this child, although that is part of it, that we always, I think, are going to sort of be God's kids. We're always going to be small in that way. We're always going to be sort of performing for God in the like middle school band, you know? Do you ever go to these concerts and like listen to the squeaks and the like, as they're playing on the violins, it's like, that um, we never probably amount to a whole lot more than that in this life. We're always just sort of doing our best and God's like, well done. That's sort of great, Jeff. But we, we start participating in something with God. He's going, when you get down there and wash feet, it's like we're doing that together. This is our thing. And you realize this is what Jesus is after. Not obedience, but friendship. But you're not going to get to friendship without obedience because he's showing us how we become friends, showing us how we grow in our capacity to love, transforming us so that we become capable of loving like he loves. which means we have to obey, which means we have to trust. And to trust God, to trust this love is a bit unnatural for us. Like I said, every other kind of love comes at us with conditions. And God's saying, no, 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 my love is different. My love will sustain you. A God who lays his life down for us. I like how Greg Boyle, Father Greg Boyle runs this um, Homeboy Industries in L.A. It's like the top recovery program for felons getting out of prison. And he's done just profound work. He says this, and I love this quote. He says, when one knows the God of love, fire all the other gods. To know the God of love, right? When one knows that, you fire all the other gods, all the gods who come in and tell you some small story or come at you with a sense of guilt and shame or come at you and look at you just with this lens of disapproval. He goes, no, no, no. The God of love is the one who lavishes you with grace. Behold that love. And this is what we find. Abundant life isn't merely about receiving love and giving love. It's about intimacy. It's about partnering with God. It's about having a life of deep friendship with God. And that's the invitation as we think about setting aside time in our life to to rest and to be with God. All right. I'm going to say it. Everybody silence your cell phones. (laughs) 
<laughs> Two strikes, third strike, I'm just walking out of here. <laughs> just kidding. It's about this intimacy. And the way into this life is this coming home, allowing ourselves to be loved even in our imperfections, even in our blemishes, maybe especially there in those places in us that need to be washed and to heal. We yield to this work that God is doing, the gardener, as he comes in and prunes and cuts. We don't perfect ourselves to become worthy of love. We receive his love, and that love perfects us. That love makes us whole and complete. And that completion is always to just simply be his child. But not just his child, his friend. And in all of this, I've heard it said, I think James Finley said this, that that God doesn't always protect us, but he always sustains us. God doesn't always protect us, but he always sustains us. And I think there's probably some of you that are like, oh my gosh, my life is so hard right now. And I just have this image, I've shared this before, but this, this image of my son... And there was one time he had to give blood because he was having all these allergy tests and they took like five vials from my tiny little boy and I'm holding him in my lap and he's just shaking, right? And oh, like my heart was so broken for him, but I was so proud of him. Gabe was a tough little kid. And I think there are sometimes like situations in our life where we're like that little kid. And we're shaking and we're like, I don't want to do this. And and God's going, I know. But he holds us and sustains us. When my friend Steve did this illustration with the rice and he poured all this out, he invited everybody to come up and take like a little bag of this rice home with them. And this was the first time I saw him do this was a, a couple years ago. And uh, right in the middle of all that was going on in COVID and such. It was a hard time for all of us, right? We were all struggling. I can tell you this, it was a hard time to be a pastor. And I remember sitting there, and if I'm totally honest, he's going, come up and take a bag of this love. And I was like, I'm good. Like, no thanks. And so I didn't go up, and I didn't think anybody noticed. And um I'm just like, you know, choosing not to participate, but like, good for all of you guys, you know. And I don't think my friend knew, but maybe he did. But I, I saw him a couple weeks later, and I was just sitting there writing, kind of journaling, and he walked up and he hands me this little bag of rice, and he goes, God told me to give this to you. And, you know, I think there's like the grace, right? Because even when something in me withholds, God pursues. Pursues, he comes after us with so much grace. 
sees past our resistance and sees that heart of his kid. This from um, Richard Rohr. He says, we seem to believe that only perfect things are lovable. Yet the gospels say very clearly that God loves imperfect things, which is really everything. Perfection is invariably our own self-created notion, manufactured largely in our own thinking mind by our, our culture. Thus, thus it is both delusional and finally self-defeating, as well as a major enemy and obstacle to loving what is right in front of us. God loves imperfect things. And all of us come here with cracks, wounds, things that need to heal. All of us come here with dirty feet. And as God's kids, we let ourselves be washed. But as we do, we're changed. We become more and more like him. Learn to love like him and allow him to bear fruit. So my questions for you guys today. Number one is a review question. I said, how'd you do last week in practicing rest? And uh, if you blew it, hey, God lavishes grace on us. But how might you carve out some space this week to receive God's love? If that's all you took away from today, I think it would be enough. Carve out some space to behold that love. Number two, how have you experienced God's love? Is it hard for you to imagine? Is it difficult to trust? If it is, you can tell God that. It's hard for me to trust. And allow God to respond to that. Because he will. Three, do you ever find yourself resisting God's love? And do you know why? So let's see if you can find some time to sit with this question in God's presence. Ask God to show you the places you are resisting his love. Often that's like the most like wonderfully insightful question is to notice our own places of where we resist. So often that's right where God wants to heal. You know, we do that in the, when I was doing my EMT, you would uh, approach somebody that was hurt and you would look for where they're guarding Right? This is how you could tell pain is that they're like, they protect it. And so often we think we're getting away with something as we kind of walk in limping, like, I'm good. And God's, I think, so often saying, okay, show me, Jeff. Show me what's hurt. For how does it feel to be considered God's friend, God's child? Is one easier for you to grasp? So what if this is all God is calling you to be? And is that enough? Is it enough for your life to see your identity there? God's child, God's friend. Because deep down, God assures us that is what we're longing for. To be known and loved right there for our hearts. So would you stand with me today? And if you'd like prayer, we will have people down front that will pray with you. I'm guessing we probably all could use it. I think we have In-N-Out Burger outside, so eat up and enjoy some fellowship and savor the goodness of God in that hamburger. I just want to read these verses over you as a blessing as we close today. From Ephesians 3, 
Paul writes, my response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his Spirit, a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Amen.